All right, let's open up to Luke chapter 16. We are in the middle of, nearing the end of our series this summer on parables. Um, parables have been very challenging to me. I, 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 parables have, they bring out so many things and they kind of come in the back door. And today we have a parable that is um, challenging to say the least. So Luke chapter 16, we're going to begin in verse 19. Once you find that in your Bible or your app or however you're looking at God's Word, if you would stand with me in honor of God and His Word as I read this out loud for us. The words will be on the, on the screen as well, but you can follow along in your Bibles. Let's hear the Word of the Lord and this parable, beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you all, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, well, then I beg you, Father, send him back to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is God's word. Amen and amen, you may take a seat. So this parable, this, is, this one is a doozy, everybody. And there's a lot that's going on in this parable. And uh, there's a lot of things. We, we ask questions about how much can we learn about the afterlife and theology. But sometimes when we ask them those big theological questions about a parable like this, we can kind of miss the main point of the parable. So what I'd like to do this morning is just walk through this parable. I, and I, I hope and I like you might have the same experience that I do, that as this parable, as we, uh, as we kind of understand this parable, we get a little angry, but also we can hear this parable. One of the great gifts that we have according to this parable is that we might hear and we might see. So let's take a look at this, and let's talk about this comparison between the rich man and Lazarus. Luke 16, 9, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Jesus is going to begin this parable with a, with a contrast between two men. And actually, this parable is the only parable 
A third of Jesus' teaching was done in parables. This is the only parable that has a named person in it, a person with an actual name. Lazarus is the only named person in a parable. But it starts out with the rich man. There was a rich man, and he was clothed. He, there's a number of things that, that Jesus wants to compare. He's going to start with clothing. He's going to talk about what they eat, and then he's going to talk about where they're at and their companions. Okay? Uh, the first thing is this. He is, and, and what we have to do in order to understand this parable, like we do with a lot of parables, is we have to kind of get in the wayback machine, right? Because this parable is written on a different continent 2,000 years ago. It was told in a different culture and in a different language. And there's a lot of things that might go over our heads if we don't take some time and kind of get back in and hear how maybe the first hearers of this parable might have heard it. And what is Jesus trying to do with this parable? So the rich man is described in this way that he wears fine linen. Fine linen. In the ancient world, if you wanted, like we might go, you want white linen, you can just go to Target, right? And you could pick up whatever white linen you need. You could get whatever color you wanted. But to get white linen in the ancient world, you had to, you had to, fold, you had to fold the wool, and then you had to put it into, into a wash with clay. It was very time-consuming and actually a very uh, 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 expensive process to get really white linen, white clothes. And that's what is implied here, that he gets white linen. And before that, it says also that he likes to dress in purple. And purple, as we've talked about, we talked about when we went through Acts, that Lydia was a seller of purple cloth. Purple was the color for royalty. It was the color for the social elites. And purple dye was very expensive. You had to get it out of snails in the ocean. That's how, so you had to go, it's like, you know, the pearls, like last week, you had, you had to hold your breath and get down there to these, and to, to find purple. And so if you were someone in the ancient world who wore white linen underneath and a purple coat, you were identified as one of the social and, uh, and economic elites of society, okay? So it would have been like if we were telling this parable, there was a rich man and he dressed in in $1,000 suits. That's, that's kind of the, the crossover here. Whatever it is, high fashion. And not only high fashion, but to signal to people, I am important. Now, whether or not this person is important, he certainly thinks he is. Okay? And that's what Jesus is getting across here as he describes this man. He also describes him as saying that he feasted sumptuously every day. Now, what that would imply, there's, there's certain, when you eat food in the ancient world, there are certain verbs for that, but when you feast, the understanding of feasting implies that you would be eating meat, okay? Meat was not an everyday item on people's tables. You would only eat meat typ typically during a feast, and so you might have feasts, people might, you might have uh, feasts from the nation of Israel, they might hold feasts and they might do them kind of quarterly or seasonally. As a private citizen, you might throw a feast maybe once a year. We're talking like a Thanksgiving or a Christmas dinner kind of a thing. That, but this man, it says, does that daily. Killing a, a, a fattened calf every day. Like that's, that's a lot. In, in, a, in an agrarian society, in a pre-industrial society, if you were slaughtering an animal every day, that is opulent. That's a lot of food. 
And it says that he's doing that every day. As a matter of fact, in, in the ancient world, one of the kings, King Agrippa, who came after King Herod, there was, he, he actually threw a feast every day. The, the, Jesus might even be describing Herod Agrippa in here. People, but, and, but he doesn't name him, and he's letting his audience kind of fill in the name. So all this to say, this man, uh, even the most wealthy in Jesus' day, would only hold a feast occasionally. But meat would not be part of a daily diet. Probably for us, in, a, in an industrial society with refrigeration and freezers, we're actually allowed, we, it allows us to kind of um, use meat much more often. But in the ancient world, and even today in developing worlds where there's not electricity and there's not that technology, meat is not a normal part of daily diet. So the image here is a man of wealth, of extreme wealth, but not just that he has wealth, he thinks he's very important. He thinks he's important enough to dress the part and to have these feasts where he invites all these people to come and dine at his table. In contrast, we have our poor man. Verse 20, at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus is not in white linen and purple. What is he covered with? Sores. That's kind of disgusting. It's gross, right? Like it is, these are running sores. They might make us think of like the person Job who has these ulcers, these running ulcers and is laid down as a beggar. He has no recourse. He is not, he is not one of the social elites. He's not dressed well. He has running sores. And he's not eating lavishly. As a matter of fact, it says what? In verse 21, he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Now, we don't know whether that just means crumbs or there is some, this, this, uh, this is very extravagant, but there are some records in the ancient world of it, very opulent feasts, that people, instead of using like napkins or towels, that they would use bread to wipe their hands off and then they would just discard the bread under the table, like napkins. And that might be the image that Jesus is giving here. That, la- that at, at the gate, and here's the thing, is like the only thing that separates the rich man and Lazarus is what? A gate. A gate that swings open, that people can walk through. They probably walk through. What we're going to find is that there's going to be something else that separates the rich man and Lazarus in the next world. And it's not something that swings open back and forth. It's a fixed chasm. But right now, it's be, there's a gate. The only thing that separates them is this gate. But there's a, very, there's a significant difference between the rich man and Lazarus. And then it says, moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. We got a COVID dog. Buddy is his name. COVID is our, our uh, COVID. COVID's our buddy dog. Buddy is our COVID dog. And... Um, I don't like it when dogs lick me. I don't know if you like that. Our son, he likes to get right up in Buddy's face and get licked in the face. I'm like, that is disgusting, okay? Now, there's not, we, there's some, actually the licking, you're like, is he gonna talk about dogs licking sores? And yes, he is gonna talk about dogs licking sores because it's disgusting. But there is evidence actually in the ancient world that people would actually use dogs medicinally, that there's something in dog saliva that actually helps the healing process on sores. So now, what, scholars are split on whether, whether the dogs licking the sores is like rock bottom, which like when I hear this, I think 
If, if you're laying at the gate and you've got running sores and dogs are coming to lick you, that's rock bottom, right? But there are some who are saying that the contrast here is not that he's hitting rock bottom, actually that the dogs are having compassion on Lazarus. That the dogs are actually having compassion on Lazarus where the rich man will not. So I'll let you judge on that. But, and that will be the last I say about dogs licking sores, okay? But I do think that the idea here is that Jesus is in this life, while, while he's longing to be fed, he's actually, and again, sorry, I'm, I'm breaking my promise. He's actually, rather than being fed, he's actually, the dogs are looking to him for nourishment. It's disgusting, right? So, yeah, you're like, yes, move on, Pastor Craig, and I will. Okay. So he's at the gate, he's just outside of the opulence, probably Lazarus, the image that Jesus is presenting here is that these two men are, are geographically close together. Lazarus could probably hear what's going on inside, but he cannot make it over there because the gate will not open for him. And what we're going to find out here is that this story is going to be in many ways about a reversal of fortune. And something that in the ancient world and in Jewish literature, we're going to find these reversal of fortune stories often. But before we talk about this, let's, let's also, let's talk about the name, because Lazarus is the only named person in a parable. And if you've been studying the Bible for any time, you know that this is not a new name to Bible reading, right? That there is a man, Lazarus, who is raised from the dead in Luke chapter, or, or sorry, in John chapter 11. You guys know this, that there's actually a man named Lazarus, and there's actually some question about whether this is the same Lazarus. And the answer is, probably not. You're like, well, what do you mean? I, here's the thing. In the ancient world, there's, the name Lazarus is the name Eleazar. Lazarus is the Greco-Romanized form of the Hebrew name Eleazar. Eleazar is the name of um, Abraham's uh, servant. Back in, uh, back in the book of Genesis. And so Eleazar becomes Lazar, and then if you're Greco-Roman, you add an O-S or a U-S to the back of it. So Lazar, Eleazar, is a common name in the ancient world, especially in the Jewish ancient world, and so Lazarus is a common name. Now, um, probably this is not the same Lazarus as in John, because what happens in with that Lazarus in John chapter 11. He comes back from the dead. Now in this parable, is Lazarus allowed to come back from the dead? No, right? So either there's irony going on in in John, or this is a different Lazarus. The other thing is this, that the name Lazarus, Eleazar, El means God, uh, Lazar means to help. The name Eleazar means God helps. And probably what Jesus is doing with this parable is eventually the rich man, what is his name? We don't know. He has no name. And we're going to find out that the rich man is going to be forgotten by God. But the poor man sitting at his gate, even as we start the parable, even as you look at him, you might look at him and say, He's destitute, he's got running sores, there's a bunch of dogs around him. Like, he's clearly been cursed by God. And this would have been a common notion in the Jewish world, in the ancient world, 
that people who have wealth have been blessed by God and people who are experiencing hardship have come under the curse of God. But Jesus wants to make it clear, is this man cursed of God? No. What's he named? God helps. And so probably the name, the name is there so that right off the bat, Jesus is going to confront this, this common notion that anyone who's destitute, has, that's because of God is cursing them, and that's not true. We're going to find out Jesus is not all about that. Even in John chapter 9 with the, the man born blind, they're like, well, what did he do to be born blind? And Jesus is like, he didn't do anything. God hasn't cursed him. He, this has happened so that God might be glorified. So this man is, is named Eleazar. God will help him, and God will remember his name. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what is our hope? At the end of the day, our hope is that God will help us, that God will remember our names, that we will not be a nameless person in the grave, but we will be remembered. And so Jesus is setting that up with the rich man and Lazarus, and Jesus is able to see that in this world. The rich man will not be able to see that, and we will not be able to see that until the next world. So we have this, God helps Lazarus. He's poor and miserable, but God still looks, is on his side. He is named by God and helped by God. God knows his name, whereas the rich man, he remains nameless. All right. So reversal of fortune is a big thing in the gospel of Luke. When you read Mary's Magnificat after she is told, you're going to have a baby, it's going to be from God. She sings a song to Elizabeth, her cousin, and it's all about the, the mighty will be brought low, and those who are low will be exalted. Jesus will say as much, right? That he has this, this phrase that he says, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Reversal of fortune is a major theme in Jesus' teaching, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, and we begin to see this reversal of fortune. Look in verse 22. Upon death, so the poor man died, and even though he's surrounded by dogs in his lifetime, what's he now surrounded by? Angels. Angels carry him off to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. We'll talk about that in a second. And then it says, the rich man also died and was buried. And then it says in verse 23, in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. All right. Now, here's where we get into a little bit, there's some questions about this parable, and that is, how much is this parable a roadmap for the afterlife? Like, how much of this parable should we say, well, what happens when you die is you get carried off into Abraham's bosom, which actually that's not the image at all, but how much, you know, is this, is this an intermediate state? Like is Hades the intermediate state? And then, but you can see the good, the good people and the bad people there. Some are in torment and they can see and hear. Like how much of this do we actually use to construct our theology of the afterlife? Okay. And I would, gi- I would give us some caution on that. Okay. Namely because probably what we're seeing Jesus doing is using kind of um, folk theology to make his point. It's kind of like um, I was outside and talking about this with, um, with Gordy and a couple other people, and um, like if I were to tell a joke, like, um, 
you know, uh, and I'll even do the same one that I did for you guys. Um, a St. Peter joke, right? That, uh, so uh, a pastor and a taxi driver or an Uber driver, let's say Uber, because we're Uber people, right? Anybody? All right. Pretend you know what an Uber is. Okay. Uh, a pastor and an Uber driver, they, get, they go up to the pearly gates, and they, St. Peter is at, is at the pearly gate, and he's, uh, he's letting people in. And the Uber driver comes through, and the Uber driver uh, talks to St. Peter, and the pastor's behind him, and he gets in, and he gets this huge mansion, he gets this huge property, there's sports cars, there's all kinds of, all kinds of things that the, the Uber driver gets. And the pastor's like, well, this is going to be awesome. You know, I've 40 years of ministry. This is going to be awesome. So he walks up, talks to St. Peter. St. Peter says, we got your place. It's right over here. And he gets this little shack. And the pastor goes back to St. Peter and he says, well, what gives? And St. Peter says, well, look, this is all about outcomes. And when you preached, people slept. But when they rode with this Uber driver, they prayed. (laughs) All right? So, all right. Now, What's the point of that? The, the point of that is that's hilarious because I'm a hilarious person, right? No, I found it on the internet. Okay, um, but the point of that is not that I believe that when you die, you're going to go have an appointment with St. Peter in front of these pearly gates. That's not the point. That's kind of folk theology, right? And that we're going to get mansions and property. Like, we could probably, we could make our cases one way or another for the afterlife, but I, I don't believe that that's the way it's going to look when you, when you die and you go up to heaven. Like, I don't think that's the way it's going to look. But in order to make the point, in order to get the laugh, right, in order to make the point, I use the folk theology to make the point. And I think most scholars would hold that that's what Jesus is doing here. Now, Abraham's bosom or the side of Abraham, the implication is that this is the image that he's painting, that Lazarus is brought into a big banquet when he gets up after, in the afterlife. The angels carry him to a big banquet where Abraham is hosting. And do you remember in, in the Last Supper in the Gospel of John where they're, they're asking who's going to do this, who's going to betray, and, and John, the disciple who Jesus loved, he, he leans up upon Jesus' chest to ask him the question. You guys remember that? It's the same wording. He leans onto his bosom. We don't use that word often here in the 21st century, bosom, um, unless you're watching like Bosom Buddies. Do you guys remember that show? I love that show. It's such a great show. But all that thing is that Lazarus couch and if you've been reclining on Abraham, which implies that he's in a place of protection and safety and comfort and nourishment, that he's being celebrated. He's in a place of honor. So this idea that it's, it's not that when you die, you go into Abraham's bosom. Like, that's weird. The idea is that when he dies, he like, I hope you think that's a little weird, that there's this place out there somewhere that is the, the inner, the point Okay, the point is that Lazarus, there has been a reversal of fortune. And in the afterlife, Abraham, or Lazarus is now receiving comfort and nourishment, and he's at a feast. Okay, so it's not so much a roadmap to the afterlife, but these kind of folk understanding, this is what's going on. All right, sorry for the, the, the kind of, that's a deep dive into folk religion and even some, um, some interesting jokes there. I had other ones, and I'll, I'll hold those off for another day, Okay. Um, but that's the idea. So there's no, expi- and, and here's, the, here's the issue also. 
There is no explicit mention of the sin of the rich man or of the righteousness of Abraham, or of of Lazarus, I should say. There's no mention of like the righteousness or or failings of either one. Now, now we could probably, it's not going to be hard to piece together the failings of the rich man, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it out, and I hope you get as angry as I do when you hear it all laid out about the rich man. Because the more you hear about it, you're like, this guy is a real piece of work, okay? As we kind of walk through this parable and hear this. But there's no mention that Lazarus is somehow this uber-righteous keeper of the law. It's simply a story about reversal of fortune. And when you're able when the gate is able to swing open and when the gate no longer is able to swing open. Okay? So that's one of the things about this. So, um, so the idea that we're not looking for kind of a roadmap to the afterlife. Now, I will say this. I do think that there's a number of things about this that we can substantiate um, in Scripture that, for example, when you die, like if you die and you have faith in Jesus, um, that you will die and you will retain some degree of consciousness. That you'll be aware. The Apostle Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ and that is very much better. Or to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That there would be this idea that after death there is some sense of consciousness. That in Christ there is some sense of comfort. So not to say that this isn't, it doesn't entirely, like we don't entirely dismiss it, but it's not necessarily this road map for the afterlife. All right, Um, so let's talk a little bit about what goes on in in this, the rich man in the conversation with Abraham. Now, this is where at my professor side, I would just, I just am kind of like, does anybody have any questions? I mean, I kind of, sometimes I play with this idea of just taking questions in the middle of a sermon. It's like, that's the fun part, but but I'm going to, we, we are under a little bit of a time thing, and so, um, so I'll, I'll keep going on. But I, I think that there are a lot of questions that we would want to ask if we had a chance. But look at 1623. Let's look at this conversation between the rich man and Abraham. 1623. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Um, The word Hades, Hades is the abode of the dead. Um, Typically, in the Greek New Testament, Hades is a translation for the Hebrew word Sheol. Like in Psalm 16, it talks about, I will not abandon my holy one to the grave or to Sheol. And so Hades is the Greek version of, of the abode of the dead, the general abode of the dead. And so, in the abode of the dead, he lifts up his eyes, the rich man lifts up his eyes, and he sees far off Abraham and Lazarus at his side. There's some, there's, whereas the rich man received comfort in his lifetime, now he is experiencing torment, oppressive pain. He can see the banquet from far off, and maybe even hear it, but he cannot participate in it. Is this not a reversal of fortune? He calls out. Now, this is where we get a sense of the rich man and his character failings. Verse 
Lazarus, dogs, sores, the whole thing. You guys understand that. And he was right outside the gate of the rich man as long as the rich man lived there. He was just dropped off at the gate. And so the rich man would have seen him as he went in and out. This is the implication from Jesus' teaching that, uh, that the guests would have seen Lazarus as they went in and out. And now the rich man can see that Lazarus is finally receiving comfort. What does he want Lazarus to do? Get Well, look, I know he's being comforted, but send him over here. Like, send him over here. In other words, I, I need help. He needs to serve me. Like, this guy's got a real set on him, doesn't he? Like, now, even from hell, even hell, Hades, he's barking orders or making these requests. Have mercy on me. Send him over. I know he's being comforted and all, and I know he didn't get that in his life, but he needs to come over and help me. So Abraham says, child, remember in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, us and you all, there's a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. The gate no longer swings. The gate is no longer swinging. It's fixed. We can't send people through the gate anymore. So what does the rich man say? Well, I know Lazarus didn't receive any comfort in this world, and now he's finally being comforted, and I want him to come over here, but I'll tell you what, what you really ought to do with Lazarus is send him back. Send him back, like... If you're not, like, when I read this, I'm like, this just, I'm angry at this guy. Like, this guy is, and if you're not hearing this guy as a total, I can't even say it from the pulpit, I don't want to say, like, fill in whatever curse word you'd like to, okay? That's what he is, and that's what Jesus is telling the story. He's intending to rile up his, like, this guy is a piece of work, I've got five brothers. Let him go back and warn them. And Abraham says, hey, they've got Moses and the prophets. I'm not sending anybody back. He says, look, if they, if they see a miracle, someone come back from the dead, they'll listen. And Abraham says, no, they won't. And this brings us to a couple of things, and that is this. Well, first of all, a little personal with me in this parable. I read this parable, and I've taught this parable a few times before, particularly in class, in, in uh, undergrad class, and when you read it and you just see just what Jesus is doing with this, he is making, he's making me mad, he's making you mad, he's making his, like, it's, it's transparent. This guy, and this guy is tone deaf. He can't figure it out. He wants people to serve him, in his life and in his death, and he doesn't understand why this person is not being allowed to serve him. They should serve me. People exist to serve me. 
He's been blind. He's been blind to his suffering, and he remains blind to the comfort that Lazarus is now receiving. And one of the greatest things that we receive, and I think this comes at the very end, um, one, our greatest gift from God is the ability to hear and to see. And let me explain this, because he says, look, they, they won't, someone needs to raise from the dead and go back and, and be, bear witness and give them the message to my five brothers. And Abraham says, they're not listening. They're not listening to the law. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They're not even, if someone goes back from the dead, they're still not going to hear because something is wrong with their ears. The same thing that's wrong with your ears, rich man, you still don't hear. The idea that you still don't see. I think this parable is, is similar to um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the man is laying near to death on the path, and the Levite steps over him, and the priest steps over him like they don't even see him, right? Even like when Jesus tells the parable of the two debtors, while he's at this feast and this woman is weeping and wetting his feet with his tears and kissing his feet and wiping, wiping his feet and, and cleaning his feet with her tears. And the host of the party is trying to ignore the woman. And Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? The greatest gift that God gives us is the gift to hear from his word and listen, and to see how God is working in this world, to see people. Now, this week as I was preparing this, like normal, I was getting very angry at the rich man, very angry at the rich man. I hope you guys were getting angry at the rich man, because he is, again, horrible person, okay? And that's the idea. And it reminded me of another parable. If you have your Bible, turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, because I think this parable does a similar thing that this parable back in 2 Samuel 12. You're like, Jesus told a parable in 2 Samuel? No. Um, the prophet Nathan tells a parable in 2 Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. If you're not there, I'm going to read it out loud and you can hear it. But this parable does a very similar thing that the parable we read, the rich man and Lazarus, does. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him. And this is after David, um, this is after David has, commits adultery with Bathsheba, calls back Uriah the Hittite to get him to sleep. She gets pregnant. He's trying to cover it up. He, Uriah won't sleep with his wife, and so he sends him out to battle, gives this basically to murder Uriah. And David is just, you know, it's good to be king. And then Nathan shows up and he says in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city. 
one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew it up with him and his children. And he used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms like our dog Buddy, right? It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And what does it say about David? David gets pissed. Kind of like we're with the, with the rich man, like for me. I just, oh, how could this man do this? David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are that man. Look, I, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, it is written and told to make you angry at the rich man. But for me, as I'm reading this and I'm, and I'm marinating in my anger, I don't know if anybody ever does, does this. Sometimes you get a lot of energy out of marinating in your own anger. I, maybe I'm alone. I'm alone, so... That's my problem. None of you have that problem. But we marinate in our own anger. We ruminate. We marinate. Yes, we do all the aiding. And I have to think that, as Jesus tells this parable, nobody in his crowd is as wealthy as the rich man in the parable. And Jesus is not telling this parable to change the hearts of the ultra-wealthy. He's telling this parable to remind us that our greatest gifts is to be able to hear God's word and to see those in need and have compassion on them. And to be, to be, to have been born, to be lucky enough to have been born in the wealthiest country in the world and to live in one of the wealthiest parts of that country. It's very difficult not to tell this parable to do a little bit of soul searching especially as this last Thursday we have our pastor's prayer meeting and we're hosting, so I go get some, some donuts. And as I'm going to get donuts, I'm literally stepping over homeless people to get to the donut shop so that I can get to my pastor's meeting, right? <laughs> as my, like, at, at a certain point, at a certain point, and I'm not, look, I'm not here to cast it's not, this parable is not about condemning wealth. It's condemning a certain kind of wealth. And that is the wealth that refuses to see the needs of the people around it. It's not just having money or having wealth or having influence. That's not, that's not the issue. The issue is having that wealth and, and refusing to hear and refusing to see Simon, do you see this woman? He could say the same thing to the rich man. Do you see Lazarus? And again, we live, we live in a city where there are, there are needs that, and frankly, if we watch the news, as you and I watch the news, we can get numb to it because the needs are so far beyond our own abilities, aren't they? 
The needs that we see, whether it's addiction or mental health or homelessness or human trafficking, these are systems so far above what one person can do. And yet God says, do you see this person? And what I love, what we are doing, donuts aside, with our pastors and what we're doing with our serve day is we're, we're asking the question to our community and to our people is, do you see? Do you see? One of the things that we're going to try to do is we're going to try to host United Way does a Homelessness 101 seminar. And during the week leading up to our serve day, we want to host that here at, on our campus because we want to ask the question, look, I don't know what to do when I see someone when I get off the freeway and they're asking for money. I don't know what to do with the guy that I have to step over at the donut shop. I don't know what to do. What's the best thing to do? We can be paralyzed by this. But the one thing we can't do is not see. The greatest gift that God gives us is to hear, is to hear and to see. And Jesus tells this parable to wake people out of their blindness, their deafness. And Jesus will say, he who has ears, let him hear. And I have to think that if we're here, we have, we have allowed ourselves to hear. We've been given the gift of hearing. And one of the things, and, and when we read a parable like this that is so challenging, that is so disturbing, especially when we think about maybe I'm the man, is we can just shut off. And I, 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 the, the point of this is not, is not guilt because there are lots of ways, there are lots of ways we can go about dealing with this ne next steps. And, and I would ask uh, just to say this, that you might be asking, well, what are my next steps if I'm going to do this? What are my next steps? And I would say this, if you're like me, your next steps are baby steps. I don't know what exactly they are, but I know for me, like before we, we host the Homelessness 101, I'm going to take it online at the end of the month. And, and learn about it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn about what's going on. Friends Orange, another church that's in our city that we love, they've been working with about human trafficking and ending human trafficking and modern slavery in the city of Orange. So we're hoping that they offer some kind of uh, human trafficking 101, not a how-to, right? But, you know, but this idea, how do, you, how do we work to end these ills? How do we see? And again, with a parable like this, I think even for someone who's like, I'm a theologian, I have a PhD, and like I could take this parable and talk about the afterlife, that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is, are you hearing what God is saying? Are you seeing Lazarus in front of you? Because right now the gate swings. The gate is open. The gate swings. If you want to have compassion, the gate can open up and you can have compassion. But a day is coming when the gate will not swing anymore. The gate will become a fixed chasm. And the point that Jesus is making is while the gate can swing, let's hear what God is doing. Let's open our eyes to the needs around us. And what should we do? God will move us in directions, and I would imagine, what's the next step? And this, baby steps are the next direction. I don't know what exactly it is, but I do know it's probably about learning some things. 
It might even be about trying some things. It might even be about trying some things that don't help. Maybe then it's about learning what, what, what do you do, how, what is the best way to help, and that's what, we're, that's what we're trying to do. When we talk about loving Orange as a, as a church, we want to figure out what are the most helpful things to do for the most significant issues in our community. And we as a church are not going to tackle all of them. That's why we've got our brothers and sisters in different churches, because we're all going to have a different part to play in this whole thing. But we are in partnership together because we're about the kingdom of God here in our city, and we want to be part of what God is doing in this community. And our first part is just to hear. We've been lucky enough that someone did rise from the dead, and we heard. But will we continue to hear today? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful, boy, for your word. These parables, they are, um, they can hit hard if we let them in. And um, even just today as we hear this and we, um, we are incensed at the, at the rich man, we understand that um, this parable is for us so that we might see with your eyes that our ears might be open to your movement, your command, your still small voice, your Holy Spirit. Would you open our ears? Father, if we do have a heart, if, if our heart is hard toward those in need in our community, we just ask that you would soften it. If our ears are a little closed to those, to those pleas and the cries, whatever it is, um, we just pray you'd soften us and then we just ask that you would move us. Move us the direction that you would have us to go. We pray that you would also help us as leadership to be wise about the sort of steps that we offer to make those connections. We thank you for those that are already doing work in our community to alleviate suffering. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who would suffer on our behalf. And we remember even his parable of the sheep and the goats when people said, when did we see you homeless? When did we see you naked? That we might remember that those around us in need, that is where we find Christ. So, Father, we love you. We ask that you would move us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.